Stride K-12 is inviting students in grades K through 12 nationwide to enter the 2023 K-12 National Photography Competition. Students who enter will have the chance to win prize packages worth up to $1,200. To learn more about the competition, go to enrichment.k12.com. That's enrichment.k12.com. If the first messages the family gets are praise and acceptance um, uh, uh, of their child, then we can start to build a relationship where maybe there will be concerns come up, but we can express those in a, in a relationship of trust. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, about 10% of students in U.S. public schools are English language learners. With this number steadily growing, educators and students are facing challenges, highlighting a need to rethink curricula and teaching strategies. What are the needs of culturally and linguistically diverse students? How can we remedy the challenges they face? And how can our schools create an environment where these students can thrive? This is what I want to know, and today I'm joined by Dr. Robert Scott to find out. Dr. Robert Scott is an educational consultant with expertise in working with English language learners. He has worked as an educator and advocate for students and families from diverse backgrounds for the past two decades. He joins us today to discuss how we can best support linguistically diverse students. Robert, welcome to the show. Robert Scott, thank you so much for joining us on What I Want to Know, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate it. You know, this idea of multiculturalism, this idea of, of how we help educate our diverse uh, learners, it's become your passion. But talk to me a little, little bit about how you got into this work. I mean, I know you're an educator, but you really have taken this area and this issue on by storm. It's clearly a passion of yours. Talk about how that developed. I, I could go back further, but I can go back to ninth grade when I had a chance to uh, study uh, another language um, at uh, Harrison Junior High in Great Bend, Kansas. And my teacher for mm -hmm. Spanish was Mrs. Law. And uh, I, we were able in this class um, to get a pen pal if we wanted, uh, if you brought a quarter, you know, you could get a pen pal. And uh, my pen pal was uh, Fabian Sancho Lovato uh, from Quito, Ecuador. And I'd have to say that's mm. uh, really where it started. The idea was uh, I would write in Spanish to him and he would write in English back to me. And he has, over the years, made many efforts in English. He'd studied a lot and done a lot. And uh, after we wrote a few times, I was studying uh, second or third year of Spanish, and a letter came, a very formal letter from his father, directed to my father or my parents, inviting me to visit them in Quito, Ecuador. And my parents wow. were, um, I think, especially my father, 
felt like this would be a nice opportunity for me to kind of broaden my horizons. Everything was quite controlled, but uh, they sent me down and I spent a week getting to know uh, my pen pal and his family in Quito, Ecuador. And I, uh, those experiences, um, you know, I went to a baptism of a family member. I went to, a, actually, and, and, uh, I think there was a wedding I went to. The next year, my mother and my younger brother and I were invited to uh, what they called their uh, fiesta rosada when a, when a young lady at age 15, a couple of the cousins of my pen pal were turning uh, 15. I can remember that first time, though, uh, after I'd been there about a week, we'd been having a good time talking and everything. And uh, in the last day, the last night I was there, in my sleep, I dreamed in, I felt myself dreaming in Spanish. And it just was wow. a kind of a breakthrough for me, you know, at age 14. And, uh, you know, it just got me started. And so I kept going down there, of course, shaking hands with my pen pal uh, at the where they mark the equator there near Quito, uh, shaking hands across the equator, northern and southern hemisphere. I think that changed something in my own mind and uh, has affected me my whole life. It clearly had an impact. And I'm struck by that. Um, experience because in this country sometimes and again I'm not being critical but sometimes administrators you know policymakers talk about ESL as a chore if you will and you um, the way you describe your experience you're really talking about the fact, particularly dreaming in Spanish, that you were became immersed in the culture. Mm. So from a definitional point of view, what does it mean to be culturally and linguistically diverse? Mm. Boy, you, that's a, those are great questions you're asking. Uh, one way of thinking about uh, things in general is that uh, what we uh, grow up um, experiencing, the people close by, around us, uh, the things that reinforce us, often, often, it, it can be or has been in American tradition, sometimes uh, uh, people who uh, look like us, talk like us, we see ourselves reflected, let's say, in those around us, and it's reflected back to us, and it it just gives us a sense of sameness. When we get a chance to meet someone or interact with someone whose uh, life experience up to that point, however, whatever age we're talking, if we're seven, if we're 15, if we're 25, if we're 60, and we meet someone who's had different things happen in their lives from what we've had, then we have a real chance to learn and grow from that exchange. And I think that uh, when you have uh, um, someone uh, in your school who, who is, is coming from a different situation now today, I mean, what I described was sort of an idyllic situation for 
visiting another country. Now we have, uh, you know, uh, many times refugees. We have people who uh, whose education has been interrupted, whose lives have been interrupted by many things sometimes. And so here they are in our school, and uh, um, it just makes so much sense to be welcoming, but not welcoming in a, in a way that uh, is saying, oh, we, you know, we're better and you need to learn to be like us, but welcoming in a sense of how wonderful that you're here and that we can learn together and all of us will be improved by the experience of learning with and learning from each other. So what that young person, let's say, brings to the school is just as important as what they find in the school uh, for them. Uh, you know, you've got, there, there was a really nice school in uh, Hayes, Kansas, and I, the fellow who was principal there for 25 years, and there were so many parents and, and families and children from, uh, from Spanish-speaking backgrounds at that little school, they all kind of, it seemed to be near to a neighborhood where there were lots of, of uh, immigrant families, migrant families. And uh, this principle, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a particular, a real person, Alan Park, what a great guy. He, uh, um, he would be out there after school, you know, and people would be picking up their children he just, you could tell, he was so friendly, so welcoming to the families. My wife is uh, from uh, Colombia, South America, and uh, my wife uh, was working there, and she did a kind of a simultaneous uh, interpreting at the first parent-teacher conference, and here the parents could put on these headphones, and as teachers were introducing themselves and talking about the new school year, they were also getting, by the headphones, my wife explaining what the teachers were saying. You know, what's interesting is to hear you talk clearly, your experiences, not only with your pen pal and the visits to Ecuador and your wife from Colombia, but the work you did in different positions with universities um, and colleges, that you, you said something that speaks volumes is recognizing while we're different the sameness that there is this sameness about uh our humanity so talk a little bit about you know bringing all that front and center your work now in this you know space of of, of, of working with schools and recognizing the culture and linguistic uh opportunities talk about tesol and and what what that means and how this relates to the work. Okay, a lot of what I've done, especially the time that I spent in uh, uh, several years uh, after getting my master's degree in uh, TESOL uh, or, or uh, they, uh, TESOL basically at uh, curriculum instruction at University mm -hmm. of Kansas. Then I, I took my young family down to uh, Ecuador and uh, I was there for three years teaching um, uh, middle school mostly, but also adults in the evenings. Uh, I uh, did my best to try to start up a little uh, 
language institute uh, for adults in the evenings while I was there. But, um, you know, and then the time in, you know, I spent almost five years in Japan. And uh, I was interacting mm -hmm. mostly with uh, young people who had finished high school and were preparing to attend American universities uh, or, and I also was at a Japanese university working in their international uh, studies department. It, it keeps something fresh in your mind uh, to be uh, operating right there at the, at the meeting place between two languages. And, uh, and so, I'm, you know, so I'm telling you later when I was working on this uh, serious uh, doctorate at uh, K-State and most of my classes that I studied were in the evenings, then during the daytime I taught full-time ESL, uh, TESOL, in their intensive English program there at uh, K-State. And again, so enjoyable, but the student demographics were different from when I had started, you know, some decades before uh, doing things like that. And now there were so many students from Saudi Arabia, especially. And oh, I just learned so much from, uh, from those students. And I would, uh, and I, I had such natural respect because of the way I was raised. Uh, I was raised by, you know, by uh, parents with uh, strong faith, uh, Christian faith. And those students were more than anything reminded me of my mother because her faith was so important <laughs> because those students, you could give them almost any topic on an essay and they would sort of transform it into a topic about their relationship with Allah or something. You know what I mean? Any topic became that. But, you know, you know, Robert, that point you made is, is an interesting one. And it's important because you saw those students from Saudi Arabia when they related so many of their life experiences to their faith. It reminded you of their mother, of yeah. your mother. And yet, because of the politics and the tension uh -huh. of the politics of the day, others who may witness those examples with those students would view it in a negative way. And similarly, with the overall sort of immigration issue or ESL issue, you know, even in today's headlines, you see that, you know, we've got stepped up border patrols, we're talking about walls. There's so much that demonizes the humanity of people from other countries. We don't, you know, want to let people in. Again, not to get too deep in the politics, but how do we sort of reverse that approach and sort of deal with our children from other countries with an open hand. And, and the reason why this is important when it comes to education is now school leaders, because of pressure from school boards, mm. are forced to take more of a harder line on these issues. Okay. So share your thoughts on how we can sort of reverse mm. that, that approach. You could, be, you could be talking about any number of aspects, uh, be it uh, religion, culture. In general, though, diversity is not, I think, something new to, to America. And we've had generations 
where one group after another has been made the target of blame for whatever was seemed to be going wrong or whatever was difficult. We're our country, our country, the world, but it's going through some very tough, tough challenges. And I think it's just quite natural that people get a little defensive. And so sometimes we may have to, you know, right now, today, I feel like I've been talking uh, to you or at you, but how much listening do I do? You're, you're doing a lot of listening, um, but I, uh, you know, I have been wanting for years and hopefully I'm making progress in, um, in listening. So, uh, you know, listening to others and listening to what's on their mind. And I think you're absolutely right. We have a common humanity in our strength. Our strength yeah, I is think our you're right. diversity. Our diversity and let me ask is you our this. strength. Yes, diversity is our strength. And to that point, uh, sort of bringing it back to the classroom, oh, yeah. we know that school leaders have these challenges. Uh, but I'm also struck by uh, that school leader that you said went out of his way yeah. to make that that community welcome, the Spanish-speaking community. Let's talk about where school leaders' focus should be if they want to uh, meet their culturally and linguistically diverse students halfway. What are some of the needs? You know, this idea of, of, of being felt as, as uh, embraced or welcomed is obviously important. But from a student's point of view or the family member's point of view, what are some of the mm -hmm. needs that you feel um, school leaders should, should keep in mind? I believe her name is Zaretta Hammond. I'm not sure. I think, I'm, I, think I have her first name right, Zaretta Hammond. Uh, she has said, and it is so important in answering the question you've asked, she has said, okay, we talk about being, you know, everybody talks about being culturally responsive. I just take the word culturally out of it for a moment and just be responsive. Just be responsive to that individual student, to that student's family, to what they need, to what they express. You know, make that first commitment, and then I would go on, you know. And, and then it, you, that will also take care of cultural responsiveness. Being responsive, that's yeah. the key, is being responsive. And so you have uh, a chance when a school year starts, you have a chance to make those first communications to the home, to the family, if possible. Now, you might have a really diverse um uh, a school and it might be quite a challenge to get those in in their home language but the best way possible but to make the messages that go out first positive and something positive that you've noticed praising that student uh that child of theirs for something that they did or that you're noticing at school 
if the first messages the family gets are praise and acceptance um, uh, uh, of their child, then you, we can start to build a relationship where maybe there will be concerns come up, but we can express those in a, in a relationship of trust. Trust, it takes time to build trust. And that trust is so important for the relationship and the communication with families. And so they, if families feel like they can count on us, and if we treat them like they are our partners, uh, you know, you have something you're working on together. So there's something that they're doing at home that's uh, in unison or in concert with what you're doing in, uh, in school. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And I think that sometimes while we, you know, we endeavor to respect the uh, diversity and the differences and to give honor to that, uh, you know, all parents, irrespective of their background, they want the same thing for their kids. All kids need the same thing in the classroom. And so this idea of just, hey, being responsive, I, I love that answer. You know, I have one last question, uh, Robert, and this is what I really want to know. And, 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 and I ask you this question again for many school leaders or superintendents who, who may be listening. But if you were putting together that ideal classroom and curriculum for linguistically diverse students, what would that look like? Uh, another great question. The, uh, um, well, uh, there will be... Um, pictures, uh, there will be um, uh, reinforcement um, in on, you know, displays that reinforce uh, what, uh, what we're communicating uh, in the in the uh, curriculum in our classes, there will be goals uh, that we can uh, talk about that we can pay attention to that we can uh, point to that the students can even be part of uh, putting together. You know, uh, uh, someone did a, a really neat, uh, intensive couple of days uh, early in um, early in uh, January at a school where I was lucky enough to be spending. Well, I spent the school year a lot there in at Denver Jewish Day School just this past year, and someone put together a neat course. But the neat thing was they raised consciousness about art, and I saw how much students enjoyed drawing. I, I spent so much time. Uh, I, made, I started making paper and art supplies, uh, not just you know crayons, markers, all kinds of paints, watercolors uh, uh, available in my students. And my goodness, the number of students who just, if they could be drawing or painting something while we were working in class on, on, uh, on our lesson, it just seemed to be important for some of them. So I think having mm -hmm. some, some outlets, having some ways for students to, uh, to you know, paying attention to, your, to uh, universal design, you know, not just one way of, uh, of doing things, uh, presenting information in, in a variety of formats, 
um, um, engaging with students um, based on their interests and what you found out about their interests as you go along. Um, and uh, giving them different ways of showing what they've learned, whether it's to put a model together or make, you know, not everyone wants to get up in front and give a speech and things like that, you know, or maybe they want to make a little song, you know, whatever it, whatever, you know, it takes like that. And then you have, uh, I'd go back, it's getting to be some time, but the Creed, the Center for Re Research on Education, Diversity and Excellence, Creed, uh, with Roland Tharp, uh, the late Roland Tharp, and his development, and they they built schools based on his ideas about uh, um, the principles for including all students, reaching all students. Mm. Um, you know, it has to do with uh, connecting with them, joint productive activity teaching language and literacy across the curriculum. So, you know, when you're doing gym class or you're doing mm -hmm. others, other classes, you can cross connect uh, the information and, and key into the language that's going on. I'm gonna say that Carol Salva, S-A-L-V-A, is one of the most exciting new people, I think, in education and she's her expertise is helping refugee students that come you know they come in high school and some of them have had very interrupted uh, um, uh, educations and they you know we we can't at the same time that we want to be responsive to culture responsive to language reinforce definitely tell families it is great if you work on literacy in your home language at home that's really going to help in school that's going to cross over and, and give the student an advantage in working with english in school but also don't set the goals too low uh some of the students that come in high school and they and they've only got two or three years to get it all together uh you can there's a lot you can do by uh coordinating across different subject areas so all the teachers are in on the, a, a plan that puts that brings um, uh, language ability in English language ability uh, together with key content in the different areas and sometimes the the coordinator of that is the English teacher is the language teacher they can help coordinate that school-wide because there's got to be some fast movement and you can see some fast movement uh fast progress sometimes faster than maybe five or ten years ago uh people were saying was possible so some really fast results as long as we're we're being respectful we're honoring like you say the the uh, the culture and the language of our students. Some students, especially those high school students that come with all with very uh, broken experiences uh, from overseas and trauma and all kinds of things, they have they have to get going quickly on what they've got to do, and so they've got to learn content and the English language together. And there are really nice ways of doing that. And the expert that I know of, the main expert is. Carol Salva, 
uh, based in Houston. Yeah. Well, Robert Scott, I really appreciate not only your passion behind the work, but frankly, your work in, in supporting students like this and mm -hmm. setting an example for what's possible when you meet students halfway. So thank you so much for all you've done. And thank you again for joining us on What I Want to Know. God bless you, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education. And write a review of the show. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK. For more information on Stride and online education, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.